Well, thanks for joining me today. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, Roderick, my name is Amber Henline, and I am a mother. I am a local here in Cedar Rapids. I have two children. I do lots of different things, I suppose. My hands are in a lot of pots. So I am a licensed massage therapist. So that's the job that pays the bills. And I'm the CEO and founder of a nonprofit in town called The Wellness Center. I'm also a professional bodybuilder and a physique and nutrition coach. So I try to help people in all different parts of their life. So with everything you just said, it sounds like you could probably use one or two more hours in the day <laughs> with everything you just listed. Exactly. I try not to, I've learned over the years to try not to pack too much into my day. And that organization is key if you're going to do all sorts of different things. Uh, but yes, I could use a few more hours. That's for sure. Okay. So kind of take us back to the beginning, kind of how did, are you from Cedar Rapids or and kind of sure. growing up and kind of take a start us off with who you are. Sure. Yeah. I was born and raised in Cedar Rapids. I actually went to Marion High School and then I went to Kirkwood. From there, I traveled out to Colorado and I transferred to Colorado State. Home of the Rams? Home of the Rams. Yes. Go Rams. <laughs> so loved Fort Collins. I met my first husband there and we stayed in Colorado and had two wonderful children together. That marriage did end, and I ended up moving back to Cedar Rapids and decided to make some career changes, try to reevaluate my life and the lives I wanted for my children. And so I went back to school and became a massage therapist. So when you moved out to Colorado, kind of what was your... Well, why did you move away from Cedar Rapids? Was it a sense of, hey, I know there's something out there and I want to see what it is? Or, or what was it? Yeah, I've kind of realized that I'm a little bit of a gypsy. So I, I like change and I like to have adventures and explore different things. So when I was at Kirkwood, I did an internship out in Colorado on a dude ranch. So I would take people out for trail rides in the mountains and decided that was really awesome. And I wanted to keep doing that. So I transferred out to Colorado State. I worked on dude ranches in the summer and I just fell in love with the atmosphere and the culture that is Colorado. Uh, a lot more laid back, um, a lot more things to do outside and just a lot more opportunities for me at that time in my life. It's kind of weird you say that when I was, how old was it? When I was like 23 with my job, I had the chance. I grew up, uh, my dad was in the military, so I grew up on military bases. And then we moved to St. Louis. And then when I was 23 with my job, I had a chance to move out to Salt Lake City, Utah. Nice. And it was just, you know, to take a city boy and put him in a land full of mountains. I was right. just, I was just blown away. And to this day, if people say, if I could live anywhere, retire anywhere, I'd say there because it's just amazing. I, I still remember to this day some, what was that, mid 90s, so 20 years ago, the first time I stood at the top of a mountain. And, and, awesome. and, and like, you can't see anybody you can't hear and it's just it was just unreal i was like i didn't even know that world existed right you can't even explain it to people until they do it themselves and just being around mountains and clean air and skies that aren't cloudy all the time and sunshine and it's even beautiful in the winter with the snow because it's not the icy cold snow that we get here it's more powdery and light and fluffy and there's still warmth and sunshine so it's a completely different type of winter 
which is a little bit more bearable, I think. <laughs> exactly. So you come back to Cedar Rapids, and then is this when you got into massage therapy? Yes, I came back. I got a, a job at a, a local college, decided that sitting at a desk in the basement in fluorescent lights was just not for me, doing data entry. So I was at my computer all the time. Lots of neck and back pain with that. And I decided I need to change. So went back to school at Carlson College in Massage Therapy, which is in Anamosa, which is one of the best massage schools around, I will say that. And uh, just decided, uh, the first day of class, actually, they started talking about all the different types of massage and how it can help people. And I just fell in love. I was like, this is it. This is where I need to be. This is my tribe. These are my people. This is what I want to do. This is, this is how I want to help people. So what is it? Is there something, was it something about maybe a massage you received or what was it that was like the light bulb came on to say, was it your own personal experience? It said, man, you know, if this can do this for me, then I know people or I know I have something to give along with this for other folks to help them. I definitely think that was part of it. My aunt is also a massage therapist in town, so she kind of planted the seed. Being a bodybuilder, I know that body work for me helped me with my lifting. You know, if I'm not recovering from my lifts, I'm not going to progress in my lifting or in my physique. So recovery is very important to me and for a lot of people. And so massage really helped me uh, personally along those lines. And then I really like to do things with my hands. And so I thought, well, what could be better than that? So that's kind of how all the pieces fit together. So it was kind of like when we first met this morning, I was like saying how I had been stalking you on the internet to try to get information. And there was uh, the massage therapy the bodybuilding and the wellness center. I was like, man, there's no way one episode will do this justice. So we'll kind of glance over kind of all of them and then dig in a little more. So you mentioned the bodybuilding. So the first thing I have to say is only because it doesn't look like it, but I'm into that as well. I've been, you know, I went to the first Arnold classic. I think it was the first one. And I was just hooked. It's just like, it's so fun. It's just amazing. And, you know, just meeting a lot of great people that way. But I'm sure when you say bodybuilding, this negative connotation comes up in people's minds. And so how do you deal with that? Maybe that's not the best first question to start with <laughs> about fine. bodybuilding. But but how do you deal with that and then show while that element does exist within bodybuilding, here are the good things about bodybuilding if it's done, I'll say the right way, <laughs> for lack of a better term, but right. the way that probably 99% of the population could use it for. How do you... How do you kind of stir, turn people's minds to understand exactly the different aspects of bodybuilding? Right. Well, when I usually I tell people I'm a bodybuilder, they look at me like they don't believe me because <laughs> when bodybuilding comes to their mind, they think of like really hugely over muscular developed women. And I am a non-assisted athlete, so I don't take drugs to enhance my physique. And so as a natural bodybuilder, I don't have that extreme size that comes to mind when people think of women's professional bodybuilder. So in the natural arena, I look kind of like a normal person walking around. So people tend not to believe me right. when I say that until they see pictures of when I've cut weight and I'm ready for stage. And it's the peeling away of, of the fat surrounding the muscles that when you're on stage is kind of an optical illusion. You look way bigger 
on stage and in pictures than you do in person. And so I think when people understand that part of it, that they can kind of wrap their minds around, okay, you can be a professional bodybuilder and not look like a professional bodybuilder all the time. So there's these seasons of, you know, adding fat back on and getting your hormones going again and seasons of cutting weight and, you know, kind of getting your life out of balance, but for a short amount of time for that goal. And I think uh, bodybuilding has come a long ways since the beginning because there's a lot more divisions for women now and for men. So uh, a woman who doesn't have a lot of size but still wants to step on stage and compete and and do that for herself and her confidence and her health, she can jump into a bikini division and that's much less muscular. I wouldn't fit into there because I was an athlete growing up and I'm naturally a little more muscular and a little more husky, I suppose. And so I fit more better. That's a term that's just not used anymore. Husky. (laughs) Husky. I don't mind being husky. I was husky as a kid too. (laughs) Uh, There was even a husky division at JCPenney. Nice. Husky. (laughs) This is your husky. This is where you live. It may not. Is it PC to say husky? I loved it. I'm talking about myself, so it's fine. It's fine. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for men and women to get into bodybuilding and you know, getting a coach is definitely something I would recommend because you need somebody to kind of walk you through how to do it in a healthy way because you can approach bodybuilding and compete in a very unhealthy way. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with your diet and your mental state and your emotions that can be really detrimental to your relationships and your life and, and the things that you'd have to do and sacrifice in order to get to that end goal. And so when we do the entire bodybuilding episode, that'll be something we dive into more. How did you get into bodybuilding? Were you athletic and kind of what led you at what point? Because that is because I have a friend, Jeremy, that I do podcast with and he did a bodybuilding show. And that's a huge commitment to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to do this. There's so much involved with it. So kind of what led you into bodybuilding to finally say, you know, I'm going to try it. And then not only to say I'm going to try it, but... I'm going to go to the point where I become a pro because you just don't snap your fingers and say, I'm a pro. So (laughs) kind of what led you into bodybuilding and then traveling through and realizing, Hey, I'm pretty good at this. I could turn pro and then, and then actually turning pro. So I'm a very competitive person growing up in high school. I played four sports. I was volleyball, basketball, track and softball. Then I went off to college and that kind of went away. I didn't have that outlet. I didn't go to school to school with a scholarship or anything. So I, I didn't play any sports in college. And I had my first son while I was still in college. So a lot of other things became a priority besides myself. And then I got a divorce and I moved back to Cedar Rapids and I realized I had let myself go, I suppose. So uh, normally I was around 150 pounds. When I moved back, I was over 180 pounds. So I was 30 pounds overweight and it was all fat. It wasn't, there was not a lot of muscle there. So I decided to join Ferrell's. And so I did the the 10 week transformation. I won a thousand dollars and I kind of got hooked with that competitive like fitness buzz. And then I kind of hit a plateau and I was like, well, crap, now I need to do something different. I need to um, have a new goal. And I was on Pinterest. Pinterest is terrible for being a time waster. (laughs) And I was on Pinterest and I was looking up fitness and um, fitness models and physique and being healthy. And these images kept popping up and I wanted to find out who these women were. And so I researched who they were. And a lot of them were competitive bodybuilders. And I was like, wow, okay. So if I want that to be sort of my end goal for my life, I'm going to need to become a bodybuilder. (laughs) So I kind of teamed up with my sister. We 
kind of jumped in without a coach, didn't know what we were doing, did a lot of Googling. And I stepped on stage for bodybuilding. I didn't know if I would like it, and but I actually did. I fell in love with the sport and with the people surrounding it, with the process. And then after that, um, I got coaches and and decided that, yes, I was going to pursue this further and make this kind of a lifestyle for me. And so I was. I went from really overweight with a high BMI to, you know, super low weight with a low BMI. But now, you know, I kind of have a more healthy relationship with my body, what I want from it and how to keep it healthy and running well. So is it more of a case of like, you know, you have a show coming up. So it's basically because the other thing that I don't think people understand is I think they think like bodybuilders walk around every day looking like they do on stage. And it's like, that's just not possible. Because I'll never forget the first time I met a bodybuilder off season. And I was like, that can't be him. That does look nothing like him. And then somebody was like, well, no, no. And they kind of explained it to me. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So a lot of times the pictures you see are just maybe 48 hours captured in time. And then, but that's the image that gets promoted. That's exactly right. A lot of the fitness models do have periods of time where they're, they're shredded and they look great and they do all their photo shoots then, and then they can go into an off season. And that's really the healthy way to do it because you can't stay super lean and shredded with these six pack abs all of the time because your hormones rely on certain amount of fat on your body. And if you don't have that fat, it's going to not function properly. Like your brain literally will not work properly. Your body will always be fighting you to try to get back to that body fat set point. And so there's no reason to fight it. And so, yes, we do have off seasons and contest prep seasons where we go through these cycles. So yes, my off season right now, I'm 30 pounds heavier than I would be if I were to step on stage. So we go through these cycles and yeah, I'm not going to be walking around with abs and, you know, really shredded shoulders and, and back and glutes and, and quads and all that. But, uh, we'll shed it off the next time we go on stage. And, and that's just a much more healthy way to approach it. Okay. Came back, wanted to get a massage therapy, you tick that box. Then you do bodybuilding and tick that box. And so right then and there, it's say, hey, this is pretty good life. Things are going pretty well. But then you decide you want to start a nonprofit. So where did that come from? Well, that came more from my work. So I worked in a chiropractor's office when I started my massage therapy business. And a lot of people would come in with a lot of problems and, and not just musculoskeletal problems, a lot of problems that I couldn't address. And so I would just ask a lot of questions. I would you know, say, well, what are, what are you diagnosed with? What medications are you taking? What have you done to help decrease this pain or help with this chronic disease you're battling? And a lot of times they would say, oh, I want to do this, but I can't afford it. Or I want to do that and my insurance doesn't cover it. So I was like, okay, well, how can I help with that? And you know, kind of batted the idea around with some colleagues of mine and decided, hey, we want to create a space and an environment and a nonprofit that will help these groups of people suffering from chronic pain and disease to help get alternative therapies to treatment. So non-medical approaches to feeling better, things like massage or physical therapy or chiropractic care, even acupuncture, mental health counseling is a big one that we promote. And it's been really helpful with people who are suffering. And we have pain management clinics, all sorts of these different things that focus on your lifestyle and your physical well-being but outside the medical arena to help get people the services that helps them feel better, but they don't necessarily have to pay out of the pocket for these. So 
uh, our main program is an income and a need-based program. And so people apply, we sit down and talk with them, decide, hey, this would be a good avenue for you to try to follow. We set them up with providers and services and sometimes they pay for those and sometimes we pay for them. It just kind of depends on where they fit income-wise. And so I just saw this gap and people getting better and I wanted people to get better. I don't want to pe- people to come in every single week and be like, this still hurts, this still hurts, this still hurts. Okay, well, clearly what I'm doing is not helping you. What can we find that's actually going to help you? So that was kind of the catalyst. Okay, so you've just opened up a huge Pandora's box <laughs> as far as healthcare and things like that. You know, it's been said, and I truly believe this, we look at the symptoms, but we don't want to cure the symptoms. We just kind of want to pacify the symptoms mm-hmm. in order to make a buck. It's, mm-hmm. it's big pharma and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you work in it. What is it going to take to change that? Well, that, you know, to say, oh, this hurts. Or instead of just saying, oh, take this pill, say, okay, why does it really hurt? And then try to figure that out. Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think half of it is on the doctors and the insurance companies. And then the other half is actually on us as individuals, because we also have the problem as people when we hurt. Our first step is to go to the doctor. And our expectations when we go to the doctor is to get something quickly that will make us feel better. You know, we are also not necessarily interested in finding the root cause of what's going on and addressing that because that involves changing your lifestyle and that involves paying for things that are out of pocket because the insurance company that's trying to make a shift to an actual outcome-based results rather than fee-based results with doctors but that's going to create it that's going to need a huge shift in everybody's approach to their health. So I think really the first step is is making sure that when you go to get help from the doctor or your chiropractor or whoever you go see that you're not looking for it to be fixed right then and there. That you're looking for guidance on things that you can do in your life to help make a different outcome for you. Yeah, that's you know they like said that's per- but so how do we get that mentality of you know, when does that start? How do we start getting people into that mentality of actually doing the things? Because I, I look at like uh, when you look at schools and, you know, physical education, that has kind of changed from when I was in school. But then again, you know, I was in school. I graduated <laughs> in 85. So that, that's a long time ago. But right. it seems to have changed. That mentality has seemed to change. And I think it's had a kind of a carryover effect. So is there something we can do in the schools to kind of promote that? And, kind of thinking? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's one thing that uh, our board of directors is trying to figure out, like, how can we get into the schools in a positive way to show kids, you know, this is how you actually take care of yourself and make it relevant to them. Because I think I don't remember anything from my health classes in high school that actually helped prepare me for anything, either nutrition or mental health or taking care of my physical body besides the food pyramid and not smoking or doing drugs and not drinking and moving your body. Like those were the basic things I learned, but that really doesn't give you anything that you can use. So we are trying to brainstorm some ways to get into the schools, but I think people need to see results from people who have done the work. So, you know, if somebody's battling with low back pain, there's all sorts of different types of low back pain. But for instance, we'll just take low back pain in general. They see a friend of theirs battling with low back pain and they also have low back pain and their friend 
does all these different lifestyle changes. They go to physical therapy, they start doing yoga or just different exercises. You know, they start taking supplements like fish oils or things like that. And they start stretching and being very intentional about how they're addressing their low back pain. And they see that that works for them. And so like the person who's watching that, if they're just taking a pill and maybe wearing a back brace and still sitting all day and not doing those proactive things and they're not getting better, now they want what their friend has. And so if, the, if people can start to see that there's other ways to address their issues that aren't just taking a pill and aren't super quick, then I think as a society, we'll, we will start to shift and start thinking more about that. But people have to see that it works before they'll, they'll jump on board with it. That's a good point. The overall concept of the Wellness Center and you waking up one morning and saying, we need to start this, that's a daunting task. You know, it, you can say I'm going to become a massage therapist you can kind of, because you kind of have a path to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You can say you're going to do a bodybuilding show because you can kind of have a path to it. Mm-hmm. But as far as building this nonprofit, wh- what was that like? And when you first started coming out with the idea, what were people's reactions to that? And kind of walk us through how this kind of came from an idea to a reality. Well, if I knew how hard it was going to be when I started, I probably wouldn't have done it because... (laughs) So maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) I know, right? It is a good thing because, yes, there was a lot of nights of frustration, of crying, of rejection, of people not wanting to talk to you about it. There, I have a whole list of places I won't go now for chiropractors or physical therapy locations where they won't even take the time, five minutes, to talk to you about this great idea. So... You know, there was a lot of backlash. I think some people in town, practitioner-wise, they are there for the money. They do want to help people. I generally think they started off wanting to help people, but they're also there for the money. And that was very apparent when I would approach people that they don't want to collaborate with other people in town. And that's kind of the basis of what we do is we want to collaborate with others to get this one person in our care all the best options for them. And to, to cut you off there, that's interesting that you say that, to collaborate. There was somebody I interviewed uh, before, Jackie Fetters, and talking with her, it was almost like that's kind of what she was thinking of doing is trying to get all these like-minded people to think together to get to a solution. So, And you said in there that it almost sounded like you said they started up, people start with the best intentions, mm-hmm. but then at some point along the way, it changes. So do you have a theory on why that happens or kind of as you were, as you were seeing this and maybe butting up against this, it's like, man, what is it about this that, you know, cause it seems like off the top of your, it's like, Hey, I want to start this be- mm-hmm. because of this reason, this reason, this reason. It's almost like you say, well, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, of course I'll sign up. So mm-hmm. kind of as you were going, is it starting and you're like, Oh man, this is going to be harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. Kind of what, what was going through your mind is kind of like, why this was happening almost, I don't want to say resistance, but it almost Mm -hmm. sounds like it was resistance. Well, I think some of it has to do with how providers are compensated. So if they're taking insurance, they're compensated minimally. And the more people they can get in and out, the more they're going to get paid and meet that bottom line. So, I mean, it is kind of a business decision to one, take insurance and two, shuffle as many people in and out as possible. And so I think over time, some practitioners start to lose that sense of why did I start this in the first place? Because they're not getting compensated for that extra time and that extra care that they're giving that person. So 
um, as I mentioned before, moving towards more of an outcome-based program instead of fee-based, I think will really shift people's care and what they expect from their practitioners. Because when I go to the doctor, I go to my chiropractor, I'm going to stay there until I get as many answers as I can to my problem. And so that takes usually a lot of time and I won't work with a doctor or a practitioner if they aren't willing to take that time with me. So I think being an advocate for your own care and then finding a practitioner who's willing to work with you. Maybe you don't use your insurance. Maybe you pay cash. I don't know how that looks. It's very hard to approach healthcare when there's so many variables that affect it. So yeah, I think some practitioners, they just kind of give up because their hands are tied if they take insurance. And if they don't take insurance, people might not come see them if they have to pay cash. So it's really hard to say. I broke in there. So you're you're going to these people, you're trying to set it up. So then how did it start going? When did you start? Was there a single moment? It was like that big win. It was like, okay, let's keep pushing forward. And on the flip side of that, was there ever a time where you just said, man, maybe this is just more than I can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely had that thought quite a few times that it's more than I can handle. But over the course of time and just talking to people, I built a very awesome board of directors. So I do have a team of 10 people on our board who help get the word out and are also providers themselves. So my big win actually came, I remember very vividly getting a meeting with the owners of Covenant Family Solutions in town there on Blair's Ferry, the big yellow house that used to be a travel agency. (laughs) They have counseling there, so marriage and family counseling. And so I set up a meeting with them, you know, super nervous walking in there. I have maybe two board members right now, like super small. Nobody knows who we are. We have a website though. That's cool. And so I go in there with pamphlets and they sit me down and there's two of them and one of me, right? So I'm like, ah, I'm outnumbered. I'm super nervous. My words aren't coming out right. But they listened and they asked questions and they looked me in the eye and said, we would like to help you. We don't know how that is right now, but we would like to help you. And then one of them actually became one of our next board members. And so then they were all in. And so they've helped us. We have our board meetings over there. They help us uh, with referrals. We send people, some of our clients to them when they need mental health services. They help facilitate our pain management clinic now. And they've just, um, we're so open-minded when it came to this concept of getting people help in an alternative way, a non-medical way, that I was just blown away. I was, I left there and I was like on cloud nine. I'm like, nothing can stop me. Of course, that only lasts for so long. <laughs> but that was, that was one of the major turning points, I believe, in our organization and in my ability to keep moving forward. So you, you get that big win as you start moving forward. When did, I don't want to say... When did you realize you have arrived? Because I'm sure you probably don't think you've arrived yet until you can help every person that walks through your door. But when did you, was there a time where you just stopped, patted yourself on the back and said, and kind of looked back in the rearview mirror as kind of the, the travel you had taken and said, yeah, I, I, we've, gone, we've gotten to a good point. Yeah, uh, I definitely don't think we're where we should be, like you said, but... Anytime I talk to the clients that we help and I take time to ask them how they're doing, how I can help them further, and they just start gushing about how better they feel and that they're so thankful for us helping them get the services, getting them matched up with a provider that they can work with and that is helping them, that just makes me feel like we're doing the right thing and that we've come to the point 
where yes, we are helping people. And you know, it might be, it might not be hundreds of people, but if I can sit down and I can say, I have helped change this person's life for the better, like we as an organization have helped change this person and they're living a better quality of life because of that. I don't care if that's just one person. Like how many times do you actually get to say that about an impact you've had on somebody's life? So anytime I get to sit down with someone that we've helped is an awesome day and and it helps me keep moving forward and pushing and trying to get more resources so we can just help more people. When you were going through and creating this nonprofit, were there places in other cities that you looked at or was this something that really was, I use the word groundbreaking, but something that was like, as you went out to look to say, well, maybe Des Moines has one or somebody else has one. Was there something out there that you could even kind of have a somewhat of a blueprint of, of, or was this really just starting from scratch? You know, I took a lot of bits and pieces from a lot of different places. So as far as anything local, there's not anything that is a nonprofit. Now there's a bunch of offices that have all of these different services under one roof, but they're they're for profit, right? And so they don't have that element of being a 501c3, being able to get grants and being able to help people in that capacity. But that is a good business model to follow too. So I took pieces from that. There's also a few nonprofits that don't generally have the services that we're offering. They're more specialized. So there's a nonprofit out in California that offers services just for cancer patients, for instance. And so that's their niche, but they do it in a holistic way. So I kind of looked at what they were doing and took pieces of that to kind of put together this puzzle of the wellness center. So just trying to look at the best parts of each thing and try to pull those all together to make our organization better. So you've created this wellness center. You've created this entity. Is it something that you could now, if someone came to you, you could say, boom, this is how you do it in your, in your city. Is it to that point yet? Could, is it, I guess, is is it scalable? You know, I think it could be if we had, more resources within in or our organization to write the, up that blueprint. I mean, I could sit down with somebody and say, this is what I did, but that wouldn't be the fastest way for them to grow something where they're at. So I think I'm the only paid staff member in our organization. And so my time and my resources are limited to put the time and effort into creating that blueprint for somebody. I think it's possible but it would take a lot of work on our end to be able to to kind of get the steps in order to set that up for another place. So the big question is, how do we get it from being, I don't even know how to really rephrase this question. How do we get it from being a nonprofit to just being status quo? <laughs> I would love to be able to answer that question. <laughs> I really would. I just think the community as a whole needs to embrace the concept that we're not going to get better if we keep doing the same things we've been doing and looking for ways to create change in ourselves and our own lives and to start putting our money where our mouths are. If we want to create change, you know, we have to give resources to the organizations in town and there's many that help create that change. You know, it's, it's like a, a, a huge organization or a huge company like uh, Alliant or something in town where, you know, they have the resources to do all the great things that they want to do. But, you know, the nonprofits in town, we're working off of limited resources. But if we had all the resources that we needed to create change, can you imagine how impactful 
we would be, not only in Cedar Rapids, but that would trickle out to the rest of the state and the rest of the nation if we had all the things we needed to get to grow and get better. See, now you're going to get me in trouble because now I, I look at things like the giant statue sitting in front of the library and say, do we really need a six-figure statue in front of our library? I mean, it's nice for taking homecoming and prom pictures, but do we really need that? Could that money have been spent somewhere else? And, and I guess those are, that's where I get frustrated of things like that, where you have tangible items out in the community that can help people. But it seems like those things have to scratch and claw for every little penny they can get. Yet we can throw money around to other projects. I'll put in quotation marks. So I think that's my, my, that's my pedestal. That's my, that's what what gets me. I think that all the time, like I'll see, you know, somebody give a for-profit business $100,000 $100,000 to increase their for-profit business. But I'm like, do you realize what I could do with $100,000? How many people I could impact locally with $100,000? And a lot of those projects, you know, that we see around town, those come from different funding sources that nonprofits can't touch. You know, they're they're funded by big organizations that are like, I want you to put art or I want I want you to, to do this with the money. So that money's uh, separate. <laughs> we're we're fighting and clawing for the, for the leftovers. <laughs> and so and I guess that's the thing is, how do we increase that? How do we get that so that that information gets out there? These people are ones that support our community. And I don't want to say these people don't support our community, mm-hmm. but how do you get that word out? And I, I don't know, and I don't mean to target businesses, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I want to support people that I think are doing a great thing. You know, it may be a little more expensive. You kind of feel better. I guess it's the whole by local kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that you hear now. So Mm -hmm. how how do we change that mindset? Well, I mean, how do people get their information? So they read the newspaper or they get the newspaper online or they watch the newspaper's Facebook page or there's radio or there's billboards or there's flyers or there's podcasts. And so just being able to get that information out. So our greatest growth actually happened in one of our programs after the Gazette did an article on us. And so that was about... That was September, uh, early October when the Gazette did an article on us. And uh, we got a lot of great feedback and a lot of people contacting us. And so I think if the media outlets would put more effort into promoting the nonprofits in town that could do good and give people more information about them, I think we would see a lot more growth. But, you know, they have to make money too. So a lot of their ads and sponsorships go towards people who can pay for it but you know if if the gazette had like one page or a section that was like here here's all the the great nonprofits we're going to highlight a nonprofit this month this is what they do this is all the stuff they have this is where you can go find out more information that'd be great i mean they do have in the penny saver right the hoopla or whatever but they don't have enough space because i've sent a lot of events to them that don't get published because they don't have enough space so i think if if the media outlets did more with local nonprofits in town that people would be more educated on, on what's out there and available. Yeah, it's just like, you know, when do TV stations do their community outreach programs? Seven o'clock on a Sunday morning when most people aren't watching no, TV. Because that's not a, prime time. <laughs> it, they have to provide those services. And it's like, but where can I provide it where it's not going to hurt our bottom line? So you've got the center going. Um, kind of what's the next steps for it? We're looking for an actual location. So right now our... 
um, our events and our classes and our clinics are all being held all throughout Cedar Rapids, wherever we can get space donated or spaces reasonably priced that we can pay for it. So right now we're looking at a few different locations in Cedar Rapids to actually have our own center where we will be in one place. And if people want to come to something or get more information, they will be able to find us because right now all the information is with me. Like I'm just the revolving door of information, but if somebody can't get a hold of me, now they're waiting for me to get back to them. So having one place where people can go and get our services and get information, and that's kind of what we're working towards here in the next few months. Thank you so much for spending time Thanks. with me talking about it. Like I said, I still want to do the massage therapy and the bodybuilding. Awesome. But I uh, definitely want to give the wellness center, you know, like I said, it's a great program and something that, you know, like I said, helping the community. So how can people get involved? Where can they reach you? and Things like that. Yeah, there's a few different outlets for information. We have our website, which is cr-wellness.org. Or you can find us on Facebook, which is where most of our stuff gets shared and updated, which is at BeWellCR. We also have an Instagram page, but uh, that's not super active right now because I honestly don't have a lot of time to put into it. (laughs) But that is also at BeWellCR. So at BeWellCR, Facebook and Instagram, and then cr-wellness.org for our website. Okay. Uh, So thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for... uh spending the time. Thanks for your work in the community. Thank you. And helping out and uh, reserve the right to have you on again. <laughs> Thank All you. right. Thanks so much. <laughs>